You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Final hour on this Wednesday, Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. We'll check in with the NHL Commissioner, Gary Bettman. He'll join us in about 15 minutes from now. While the NBA is still trying to iron out details of how they're going to finish this season, the NHL is going straight to the playoffs. NHL announcing they plan to hold a 2014 tournament in two hub cities. While their details are still to be decided here, it appears eight teams will get buys. Everyone else will have a play-in round. Now, critics are going to argue that it's not the same if you don't complete the regular season. I don't know if whoever wins the Stanley Cup final is going to have an asterisk by it. I don't know why that we want to just arbitrarily throw an asterisk by certain teams here. Because everybody is under the, like the same umbrella here. Certainly with the NBA, now you can make an argument, well, eight teams are getting buys here, and then everybody else has a play-in round. Okay. The NHL is just like the NBA. The season's too long. I don't think we're going to miss 15 games, but it's not ideal. The commissioner said hockey fans overwhelmingly want to finish the season, and it's a good bet NBA fans feel the same way. But these leagues have to get creative here. And if everybody is under the same rules... There's no asterisk by this. And I still go back to the San Antonio Spurs won an NBA title in the strike-shortened season of 1999. And I've never heard one person say, yeah, but we're going to do that to LeBron James. We shouldn't, but we will. If the Lakers, if we come back and we have basketball and LeBron wins a title, I can guarantee you. Now, if you're a Laker fan, you're going to go, hey, I'll tell you what to do with your asterisk. Uh, shove it up your asterisk. But I think that if LeBron wins the title, people are going to try to say, well, this one doesn't count as a full title here. Hey, yes, it does. Absolutely. But with the NHL, I don't know if anybody's going to go, well, do they really deserve it? Yeah, I think you'll be fine with that. And Major, Major League Baseball is going to go through this as well. They shouldn't, but they will if they come back. If they get their act together here. Do you know how many days it is until the opening night of the NFL regular season? We have 106 days until the opening night of the regular season with the NFL. Does anybody want to bet? Do we start on time? It's either yes, we do or no, we don't. How many are in the yes, we start on time? Ooh, so I got McLovin, Paulie, and Fritzy. Seton O'Connor, you don't think we start on time? No. All right. Paulie? I will double down and say we start on time with fans and stands. Wow. Anybody? If I were betting. I know I'm not trying to trivialize it, so I'm not trying to trivialize it. You asked my opinion. All right. The double dog dare you. I think it makes a lot of sense that they would start. I think that there's probably, for any sport, the NFL probably has the most pressure on them to start on time with fans in the stands. Yep. I, so I think I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the last time where we didn't start on time, you have to go back to following nine eleven, and uh, that's when that was the first time the Super Bowl was played in February, I believe, because the Super Bowl date was changed in two thousand one. Games scheduled for September 16th that weekend were moved to the end of the season. And then you had the Patriots-Rams Super Bowl pushed back a week. Therefore, 
That game was played February 3rd of 2001, the first Super Bowl that was played in February. Now we're talking about middle of February, even late February, if we have to. Yes, McLovin? Yeah, they got in one game before 9-11, so the start was on time. They played September 9th. I was just looking at it. And then they came back, remember? Okay, start on time, but then they had one week. They had one game, and that was it. And then they shut down. Then they were the first to come back. But people liked Tagliabue for coming back, as I recall. Well, I... I think we we wanted to show what it represented, but but we were coming back. And I remember when the president was there at Yankee Stadium, I think he had a bulletproof vest on when he threw out the first pitch. And like we we wanted to say to terrorism, hey, you know what? We're still going to be who we are. That's different than this. Like you can't say to the coronavirus, hey, we're going to show you. You want to, but you can't. That was one of those hey, we're going to come together and we're going to play because we want to show that we're still unified. We don't want to take this away. We don't ha- want this taken away from us. And those were emotional moments. Those were powerful moments. They won't be the same because of what's at stake here. Uh, you know, what happened at uh, 9-11 in New York City and Washington, D.C. But it's still going to have... In fact, I don't know what that feeling is going to be like. I can only imagine. And I've said before, when we play highlights of, you know, an event that's years ago, I I hear the crowd now more than I've ever heard it before because we took it for granted. But when you don't hear a crowd noise and then I hear a clip from, you know, somebody doing something incredible, the crowd noise is what comes through loud and clear. All right, 877-3DP-SHOW, email address dp at danpatrick.com. Major League Baseball, the owners, a sliding pay scale could put higher paid players in a tough spot. And uh, now's not the time to make labor noise, but it seems like there's a lot of noise being made, and Major League Baseball keeps leaking information to the media. Three people with knowledge of the proposal told USA Today Sports the proposal to pay players a prorated percentage of their salaries with the players who make the most taking the biggest salary cuts. And the three people spoke on the condition of anonymity because the negotiations are ongoing. That hasn't stopped anybody from leaking all this information, but this is, this is the bottom line with this. The owners are concerned about the postseason. That's when they stand to make generate the most revenue on TV rights. And that could be wiped out. If the second wave of the coronavirus comes back in October or November, this is what's being discussed. And uh, I don't know how many owners are going to say, yeah, let's try to get this season. How many players, these guys who are making, you know, over $20 million, are they going to want to come back? If you're going to reduce it to $5 million, Mike Trout, you know, what is it? 36 million now, 7 million. You got a baby on the way. I don't know. We haven't heard about the health portion of this only with Blake Snell it feels like now we're talking about just money Blake Snell was talking about his health he was talking about money he said it's not worth it with the health risk now it just feels like this is about money and hopefully baseball can keep their business inside and unless their goal is to disrupt the baseball players association because they've done it if that's their goal mission accomplished here if you want the ranks a little bit in disarray here They've certainly done it because you're going to have a lot of guys who are making the minimum 
And percentage-wise, it won't look, it, it, you know, it's not going to feel like that big a hit like Mike Trout's going to take. But if you're making 200, now all of a sudden you're making 80. Still a pretty big hit. The guys who make minimum have to come back and play. The guys who make all the money don't have to come back and play. I don't know if you're going to have a stance by some of these, you know, the haves and the have-nots. I don't know if that's where we're headed, but it certainly feels that way. All right, some phone calls here. Uh, Dustin in Texas leads us off. Hi, Dustin. What's on your mind? Hey there, Dan. Gentlemen, uh, six flat, two in a quota. Uh, proud uh, Red Raider alumni and uh, no intervention required. Back in 03, 04, we had a nose tackle on the football team uh, named Fred Thweet. And uh, he had the most beautiful calves you've ever seen and uh, we ran around with some guys on the team and uh, across campus they were known as baby heads all right (laughs) thank you dustin wasn't there a scene in entourage where johnny drama was looking at lamar odom's calves and he wanted to have (laughs) calf uh implants implants yeah he actually uh, he's at a party and he sees some guy and he starts asking about his calves and the guy gets all upset (laughs) Uh, tim in ohio joins us hi tim what do you have for me Greatest mafia movie, uh, but five ten of COVID one ninety. Greatest mafia movie all all time. Things to in your back row won't know this. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Oh, okay. All right. Andy Garcia. Yeah, yeah, I remember that with Andy Garcia. But uh, I don't think that's the best gangster movie of all time. I'm not an expert on gangster movie. Uh, but it's funny. There's a dark comedy angle to that. Yeah, Christopher Walken's really good in it. He's a he's like the mob guy. Yeah, Ed, organized crime boss. Yeah, it's all right. It, it's it's niche. It's good. Yeah. Well, we got on this topic because the great writer Stephen King tweeted out something about Goodfellas and where it ranked on the all time list of uh, great mobster movies. And I haven't seen many of them. I've I've sampled some of them, but I haven't seen them all the way through. Including The Godfather. Like, just a little bit. Yeah, McLovin. It's one thing to have not seen all of The Godfather. It's another thing to tell Sonny Corleone that you didn't see all of The Godfather. I can't believe you said told him that. Well, I just, I, I wanted to say, I, I was trying to joke with uh, James Kahn. I talked to him last week, and I said, you know, and I was going to say, hey, after you got shot, then I didn't want to watch the rest of the movie. As, as, but it was true. I, I had to research the interview and I went back and I watched it and then I realized, you know, he didn't get to be in Godfather 2 as great as he was. And the, the story is Al Pacino wanted to play Sonny Corleone because he thought it was a more interesting role. And uh, I don't think James Caan made more than $50,000 off Godfather 1. I mean, they you can check. I, I I don't think he made more than fifty. He probably didn't make fifty thousand dollars off that movie. Yeah, McLovin. It's probably a generation who knows him as the dad in Elf, which is like yes. a Christmas movie you see all the time. Yeah, yeah. He was also in Brian's song. He played the role of Brian Piccolo, the former Chicago Bear fullback who died, uh, where Billy D. Williams was Gail Sayers and James Con. He dies in the end, uh, as and it's a true story, Brian Piccolo. But yeah, they probably remember James Con. For that wasn't he in honeymoon in las vegas honeymoon in vegas honeymoon in vegas great movie sarah jessica parker yes very good movie yeah yes mclovin 
He was, you ever see Bottle Rocket, Wes Anderson's first movie with Luke Wilson? Yeah. He was the bad guy in that. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, it's a long time ago, but uh, little but, role. Yeah, I remember, didn't Luke Wilson, not Luke, uh, Owen. Owen had a flat top. Yes, that's the one. Remember yeah. James Conn was the, uh, oh, okay. the boss, yeah. You got a salary, Paulie? Yeah, for the movie The Godfather, the actors uh, Robert Duvall got 36000 Al Pacino, James Caan, and Diane Keaton each got 35000 um, Marlon Brando got $50,000 for six weeks of work. He was paid $1,000 per week for expenses. And then he got 5% of the film's uh, take. And he was the only actor who got oh, that, man. which was capped at $1.5 million. So James Caan made $35,000 and oh. worked... Um, for 12 weeks, I think. Still, though. Yeah. Well, would you rather, if you didn't make a lot of money, at least you were one, you were part of a, one of the great movies in history. Would you rather make more money for a bad movie or less money for one of the great movies of all time? In the sequel, Al Pacino, because he was in both, Hoo-ha. his salary was uh, $500,000. It jumped to $500,000 for the sequel. That's big money. You needed him. Yeah. Uh, Jason in Nebraska. Hey, Jason, what do you have for me? Hey, Danny, Danette. Love you guys. You're the best. Um, staying with the mafia thing. Um, I'm not baiting them as well, Dan, but I tell you, there's one out there that's great. Uh, Corky Romano. There's a scene in there that will bring you to absolute tears. Uh, but also want to ask you, do you watch, uh, you, I know you watch Netflix, have you, have you looked at uh, Narcos Mexico? There's uh you know, it's a great series, but there's also a woman in there, Isabella. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I started watching Narcos, and then I just said, no, I can't. I, I couldn't. What, what's the one? Sicario? That's oh, a movie? Yeah. I watched that one. That's uh, John Krasinski's wife is in there. Emily that. Blunt. Yes. Yeah, I, I watched that. Did you finish? Oh, that is rough at the end. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. You're right. These movies never end well. No, no. And I end up rooting for the bad guy. I watched, I just finished uh, Unorthodox, and I was surprised to realize there's only four episodes of Unorthodox. And I, Seton goes, hey, how many episodes? I go, I don't know, probably eight, maybe ten. I finished yesterday, and I go, Wait, usually it says, hey, five seconds before it goes to the next episode. It was like, nope, this is it. It's done. They wrapped it up in four. And I went, he left me hanging there a little bit. But unorthodox is, uh, it's certainly interesting. It's about the uh, Hasidic Jews and a woman who wants to get out of her arranged marriage. And she goes to Berlin where her mom is living and uh, her husband follows her. Uh, Just that world of the Hasidic Jews. I'd never, you know, I didn't know anything about that world. Yeah, McLovin. It's way different with the Jewishness that I grew up with, but that's like two blocks from my house. That uh, in Brooklyn, you see that particular sect. Sect, yeah. yeah. Uh, I forget what they're called, but they're all over Williamsburg, uh, right, right around where we hang out. Yes, Seaton. The worst mafia ending might be Donnie Brasco because he, not only do you, you spend the whole movie watching... Uh, the the cop he goes undercover and his whole life is turned upside down. I mean, it's like completely destroyed. He's kind of losing his identity for a little while, where he can't tell if he's an FBI agent or if he's a mobster. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, right? Yeah, he does all of this stuff. 
his whole life, his family hates him, his kids hate him, his wife hates him, like everybody hates him. Then he has to turn on the buddies that he's made within the mafia. And then at the very end of it all, when you watch this just guy just absolutely go through hell and back, at the end of it all, he gets a handshake and a little plaque that says, thanks for your work. Oh, and yeah. in like a 10 second ceremony of like, hey, all right, thanks a lot. See you later. And that's it. And it's like, all right, now go pick up the pieces. Holy moly, is that brutal? Well, I was watching Serpico the other night with Al Pacino. And, you know, the very end, he's basically fearing for his life from his fellow police officers. And then he went into hiding. I think he lives in upstate New York. But watching that, and you're thinking, Al, Al was in trouble. He was great in Serpico. All right, 18 after the hour, we'll check in with the commissioner of the National Hockey League, Gary Bettman. More phone calls as well. 18 after the hour, this is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app, by searching FSR. Head to danpatrick.com. Check out all the latest DP Show gear. We have something special coming just in time for Father's Day. Check out the new store at danpatrick.com. He's the commissioner of the National Hockey League. Season stopped on March 12th. The NHL will now move to a 2014 conference-based postseason format that was approved by the National Hockey League Players Association last Friday, and the commissioner joins us now. Commissioner, thank you for joining us. Why did you think going into the playoffs and that playoff format was the right move? Well, first of all, I want to know where I can buy that uh, bobblehead of you playing hockey. Uh, <laughs> and thanks. Secondly, and more importantly, thanks for having me, and I hope you and all your viewers and listeners and all your colleagues are well and staying safe. Uh, you know, we have extraordinary competitive balance. Our regular season races to the playoffs go down to the wires with lots of teams in contention. And if you look at the standings as of March 12th when we took the pause, uh, there were a lot of clubs on the bubble. And we thought it was only fair since we couldn't complete the regular season. We were 189 games away from completing the regular season that we had to give those teams a chance that might very well have made the playoffs if we had been able to conclude the regular season. And instead of concluding the regular season when we came back, we were also mindful of the fact that the players are going to have to be away from home, and we didn't want to have that experience to be prolonged any longer than really necessary. I saw where about 17% of the NHL are players from outside of North America. What's the biggest concern with getting them into the States tested and, you know, just the safety precautions? Well, actually it's seven. We have more, it's probably closer to 25% of our players are from outside of North America, but 17% of our players right now are in locations outside of North America. And okay. we have to bring them back. Uh, obviously there, there are immigration issues, although since they all have valid visas, that shouldn't be an issue. The bigger issue is is the fact that they're going to have to quarantine for a couple of weeks. And uh, we're going to, when we open our training facilities, which we hope to do the first week of June, uh, they're going to uh, be subject to some testing as we move to the training camp phase. There'll be more testing. And then when we get to the actual playing test, uh, playing stage, we're being told by our medical people who are giving us all the advice on this and whose advice we're following 
uh, players, if they're not being tested every day, they're going to be tested at least every other day. But is this the NHL doing the testing or will it be individual teams doing the testing? Well, actually, it'll be individual teams in the training camp and training facilities phase, although we have a backup for clubs that can't arrange to do it locally. And any of the tests we're doing, whether it's the clubs, the backup, or what we're going to do when we're actually playing the competition, we're not going to do anything that would interfere uh, with the medical needs that may be required for testing. Uh, and we're being told uh, by the experts that by the summer, uh, by the summer, there'll be such an abundance of testing, uh, our needs will really be infinitesimal uh, relative to what will be available. Could the format of 24 teams in the playoffs stay after this season? No, what we we like what we have. Our regular season puts teams in the playoffs virtually all season. Uh, we we love uh, the way the regular season plays out. It's every game's meaningful. Uh, our our regular playoffs of sixteen teams uh, hits just the right note. The competition is the entertainment value, the excitement, the passion uh, couldn't be better, and so. We're doing something extraordinary in response to an extraordinary time. Uh, fans in the stands, any possibility with that? You know, that that's something we're not going to have any control over. Uh, everything we're doing is going to be subject to the guidance and requirements of what the medical people tell us and what the governmental uh, leaders are telling us at all levels, whether it's federal, state, or local. Uh, and... If they tell us we can have fans, and obviously nothing would make us happier. But I think everybody should assume that as we play this out over the summer and into the fall, it's probably most unlikely that there'll be fans in the buildings, not because we wouldn't want them, but it's a safety, it's a health issue, and we're listening to the experts. I know you have to look at the worst-case scenario, what if What if a player tests positive in the middle of the playoffs? Then what? Well, we, we, uh, that's a question I've been getting a lot for obvious reasons. Uh, the medical people are telling us one test uh, would require that player to be isolated and you don't need an overreaction. Uh, if you have an outbreak, that's a completely different story. Uh, what constitutes an outbreak? What procedures we need to follow? That is something that the medical people are going to tell us. That's not a judgment that, that I'm going to make saying, well, just keep playing. We'll be doing what the med, what the medical people tell us is appropriate under the circumstances. How often do you consult with government officials? Or uh, did we're, you? we're in regular dialogue, whether it's it's uh, the prime minister of Canada or some of his ministers or the president of the United States or governors or premiers or mayors. Uh, we're hearing from lots of them, in part because we want to get squared away uh, on the ability of getting players in and out of the country. And then we have a lot of uh, communities that are lobbying to be one of the two hubs where we're going to play this out. Now, we, we as I think people have heard, have nine or ten places under consideration, all of which we think can do this for us. We're not making a decision yet because we want to do this in real time when we have to because the information flow based on the state of everything that's going on is changing. This isn't a decision in terms of which location that I have to make probably for another three to four weeks. At that point, I'm going to want to see, A, what the state of COVID-19 is in the communities we're considering, uh, because obviously we've reduced the risk uh, of, of any of 
our personal getting infected if we're in a place that has very little COVID, uh, the availability of testing, and the issues relative to moving personnel across the border, either to or from Canada uh, from the United States. So that's why we didn't want to put all of our eggs in one basket. Uh, we think it's better to have a lot of options so that at the time we have to make a decision, we can make the best decision possible. Talking to uh, the NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman. I remember doing an interview with Pete Rozelle, David Stern, Peter Ubroth, and Larry Ziegler. And at the time, everybody was commissioners. He was the president when when did when did you be they decide that you were going to be a commissioner instead of the president of the National Hockey League? Actually, in addition to being president as opposed to commissioner, I think his name was John, not Larry. Oh, John Ziegler. <laughs> but but I think um, that might be a golfer, Larry Ziegler. When 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 I was hired to come uh, join the NHL, uh, the view was there were lots of things that needed to be done to modernize uh, the way the league was operating at the time. And part of that was part of my arrangement was I was going to be a commissioner consistent with what the other three major leagues were doing uh, as part of moving the league forward. And my powers got a little increased. And it was really to modernize the structure of, of how we were conducting ourselves. It sounds so more it impressive, when, though, I think, commissioner than president. Hey, you know, it, it is what it is. It's a word, but, you know, rose by any other name. Yes. Uh, the best piece of hockey memorabilia you have in your house is what? The best piece of hockey memorabilia. Well, I have my plaque from the Hockey Hall of Fame. That's nice. Uh, but that's that's pretty subjective. I have uh, for my sixth for my 60th birthday. Uh, I had by that point uh, my 65th birthday. I had by that point had presented the cup, I don't know, over 20 times. And a montage was made up by Coley Campbell in the hockey operations department of each of the pictures of me doing that. Uh, because the best thing I get to do is present the Stanley Cup. I give you credit. You know you're getting booed, but you still love taking that trophy out there. When, when, when do I get booed? Yeah. When, when did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If, if, as long as they're not quiet, it's a good thing. They're, you know, there's emotion, there's passion, and hockey fans are the best. Hey, but you know what? If you don't have fans this year, Commissioner, you won't get booed. I'd rather get booed. Yeah, I'm sure you will. You know what? We can pipe it in. How's that? Uh, we may do that. <laughs> uh, Commissioner, thank you for joining us. Good luck with uh, the proposal and the format. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I hope you, your family, all of your colleagues, and all your viewers and listeners stay safe. Thank you. That's the commissioner of the National Hockey League, Gary Bettman. Yeah, I think Larry Ziegler was a golfer, and I poor the late, great John Ziegler was the president. Yes, Seaton. Speaking of piping and sound, um, as I'm sure you know, Daniel, uh, Bayern Munich played yesterday, and uh, they on the TV broadcast, they piped in crowd noise, and it was infinitely better. Yeah, I said that I was listening on radio to the Bundesliga, and I thought it sounded natural. Like, yeah. I, I wasn't offended by it or, you know, I didn't have sensory overload. I, I thought it was okay. No, it was great. It, you just, you don't realize how much that sound just adds to the, the enjoyment of the game. Yeah. I, I still would like to hear a, a football game or a basketball game or baseball game with no crowd noise just to hear what... Now, I've been close enough to hear what is said on the field. Uh, but to have people have that experience of you're actually going to be hearing a lot more, it'll be different. 
And it could be interesting. It might not be. You might get tired of it after a while. A couple of phone calls here. Uh, Jim in Virginia joins us. Hi, Jim. Hello. Hey. Hello, this is Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, uh, so I have a TV show for Fritzy's Comedy. Oh. And it's sort of what y'all were talking about. Fritzy writes material. You get pros and amateurs to try to get laughs. And uh, that way they won't just be laughing at the pros. You know, they'll laugh at unknowns if they're good. All right. Well, thank you, Jim. Here's the problem. Fritzy doesn't really write anything. Right? <laughs> I kind of share like experiences that I have, which yeah. may or may not be funny to uh, other people when you're talking about your uh, medical issues and things like that. But, or observations. but your act is not written down. Uh, I write down notes and, uh, you know, like, like I'm not word for word. I'll, I'll, I'll put a little outline together and memorize the order of the sequence of how I want to uh, share things. But I, I, w- I wouldn't say I write down all the jokes. Why don't you give me a copy of section row seat so I could the, the notes so I could frame it <laughs> just so people can understand the architect behind this observational humor. Okay. That'd be nice. Do that. It'd be a nice little piece of memorabilia for the uh, studio. Yes, it would. It'd be right up there with all the You're great memorabilia. In, uh, in the attic, uh, all the way up on the It'd be, it'd be right up there with Carson Palmer's Heisman Trophy. <laughs> right up there. Good stuff. Yes, nice. Seton. But Todd does make an interesting point, though, is that you wonder if, say, Will Farrell got up there and was doing like, I got these people coming up to me and they don't know where they're going with their seat. I know he's not really a stand-up comic, but you do, you are already primed for laughter when you see him coming you know you're just sort of like ready like all right this is going to be funny now maybe that's because it eventually gets to a punchline it does actually get to something funny but <laughs> i strongly believe that if, if chris rock or stanley or farrell or anyone else that we find funny consistently they'd find a way to take that to another but level. you just didn't have an end to it because you sort of trail off anyway and let's just uh, get it together <laughs> And then I went, oh, no. And then I dropped an <laughs> F-bomb out of desperation. Yes. But I, I think if you had the, like, if you said, and then I find out I'm actually in the wrong seat, you know, or something like that, then at least you have a period. You just to put of, a bow on it. You went dot, 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 and just trailed off. And I went, we are in yeah. trouble. I'll take another uh, Jack on the Rocks, please. <laughs> yes. And I Skip can hear the... that loud and clear yeah. while I'm like, you're ordering the Jack and Coke? Nope. I'll just take the Jack here and Sit hurry. Down, joke boy. <laughs> I did no, not say me. that. I like no, that Todd's thinking. desperation F-bomb came about seven seconds into oh. the routine, too. And I, I, I might have turned to McLovin because I went, uh-oh. Like, as soon as I heard the F-bomb, yeah. when he went blue and I went, uh-oh. Oh, boy. Yeah, McLovin. Six. I did save the day by uh, having the tablecloth tucked into my waist as I got up five minutes later. <laughs> the only laugh we got of the night was McLovin had actually tucked the tablecloth into his pants. And he got up and you could just hear all these glasses crashing. <laughs> I thought it was a napkin. <laughs> I'll take any laughs I can get in the background. Yeah. And it wasn't even your laugh. It was not. McLovin got a McLovin wasn't on stage and he got more laughs than you did. <sighs> That's very true. Yes, it is. Mike in Ohio. <laughs> hey, Mike, what do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. Uh, great show as usual. Uh, Lakota High School grad. I know you're familiar with that. The, the T-Birds. You got it, brother. Graduating class of 250. Wow. All right. And I think we lost him. Uh, Mike in Ohio, the uh, Lakota, Lakota T-Birds. Legend. Yeah. They had a guy named Dave Geschwin. Did you snap his ankles? 
He was good. He was good. And uh, he was good matchup. Dave Geschwin. Uh, let me see. PA in South Dakota. Hey, PA. Hey, good morning, DP. How are you? I'm Dan Atz. You're doing good. Good. Thank you. Hey, first thing I wanted to mention is I've never been to a pro football game, and for the first time I bought uh, tickets to the Broncos game. My grandson's a great fan of the Broncos, and I'm a huge fan of the Saints. So we're hoping Polly's right. I really do. But the thing I wanted to mention was for the Mafia, uh, <laughs> usual suspects. That's kind of sneaky good. It really is. I liked it, but Seton doesn't think it holds up. Yeah, I'm sorry. Why doesn't it hold up? Uh, I'm not sure. It's just, it's it's hokey. When you watch it back, you're like, wow, this movie is so cheesy. Yeah, Paul. I think there's some movies that the experience the first time you watch it is so good, it can't keep up. Like, uh, Usual Suspects, remember Memento? Oh, I like, yeah. Great movie the first Mm -hmm. time you see it. Uh, The movie Get Out. Jordan Peele's movie. Yeah. It's a very good movie, but the first time you see it, it's unbelievably powerful. Yeah. But the, once you know the surprise or the bit or the hook, mm. the, the second watching can't keep up. And you think because it's Kaiser, Kaiser Sose that... You, once you learn Kevin Spacey, spoiler alert, is Kaiser Sose, yeah. then it's... Oh. Yeah. I know, Fritz, you didn't watch it. <laughs> no, he didn't. No nudity. Great. Yeah. yeah no. Yes, McLovin. I love Benicia del Toro. So that was his breakout role, right? Where he was the mumble, mumbly uh, mobster. Mm. Finsta. Finsta. And then uh, Gabriel Byrne. Nice. He was married to Ellen Barkin. Remember Ellen Barkin? Good, good Paul. Yeah. And his uh, the uh, other Baldwin. Yeah. Stephen Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin. At the time, you were like, oh, man, he was really good in this. Yeah, watch it back now. Oh, wow. Watch it back now. Well, Stephen Baldwin's daughter is married to Justin Bieber, right? One of the Baldwins. I, th- I think it's Stephen Baldwin's daughter is married to Justin Bieber. Always comes back to Biebs with you. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> I, I don't know. I remember when Seton came in one day and he goes, this Bieber album is awesome. It's going to be. And I went, really? He goes, yeah. Yeah. And, and it turned out to be a big album. I just, that's not really my playlist. No, no, but there, there were great songs on that. And a great story. There was a documentary on Justin Bieber that I watched, and it was about when he would be, you know, on the street playing guitar just to make money. And I mean, it's a great story, but uh, yeah, he's not, not in my wheelhouse there. Take a break here. Last call for phone calls. You know, if people look at just the topics we talked about today on the show, like if somebody just gave you a list of these were the topics, man, you're going to go, there is no way that they were talking about all those things. And, you know, sometimes you go crazy in this role. You do. There are times when I, I go a little goofy. And I did today. A little bit. Take a break. Back after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. In case you weren't keeping track among the references made on today's program, the looks of James Marsden, Justin Bieber's wife, James Kahn, Vigo Mortensen naked, Phil Mickelson's calves, and Stephen Baldwin's acting career. Brad Pitt's accent. Brad, yeah, his accent in uh, Snatch. Pikey. 
Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer making a cameo, also Al Pacino. Now we did talk a little sports as well. Tony Dungy joined us, Phil Mickelson joined us, and of course uh, the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman. Yeah, when John Ziegler, he was the president of the National Hockey League, and I'm working at CNN, first time the, all the commissioners of all four sports had ever sat down together for an interview. Pete Rozelle, uh, Peter Ubroth was the commissioner of Major League Baseball. David Stern had just started that year. I think it was 1984 when I sat down with everybody, and John Ziegler was... He was the president. So he's, he wasn't the commissioner. He was the president. And then Gary Bettman eventually said, no, I want to be a commissioner. But he was the president. They all gathered. They were getting their makeup on. And I, I asked the makeup artist at CNN, after they all got their makeup on, I said, what, what did they talk about? And he said, they all agreed that, like, they were kind of um, conspiring to not tell me anything. Like, they wanted to make sure that everybody realized we're in this together as commissioners. Let's not kind of sell somebody else out or somebody try to be the star, apparently. Um, but And they pretty much shut me down as far as anything controversial in that. But they did sit down. I have this photo of me. I look like I'm 12 in there with these guys. And that's when I first, I went out on the street and man on the street, to ask people if they knew who the new NBA commissioner was. And uh, somebody said Howard Stern instead of David Stern. And, 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 you know, the commissioner would bring it up to me occasionally. He goes, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, like, who's the commissioner? Who's the new Howard Stern? I said, yeah, commissioner. I was just trying trying a little humor there. Uh, Brent in Texas joins us. Good morning, Brent. What's on your mind? Hi, good morning, Dan. Uh, appreciate you and the Danettes. Uh, yeah, I was just going to uh, throw out uh, Copland and also Carlito's Way, a couple of favorites of mine. Okay. Uh, Copland, I liked. I didn't love, I liked. But I don't know. That, I mean, that's we're talking about organized crime. That's a that, obviously a cop movie there. But uh, in Carlito's Way, I never watched that. Really? No. Oh, boy, that's pretty good. Benny Bunkle from the Bronx. Yeah, John Leguizamo. You got uh, <laughs> Sean Penn. <laughs> Sean Penn crushes that He man. does. He crushes in that movie. I mean, he is awesome. Yeah. Ah, mm. oh, dude. I know. What did you say? You didn't like it or didn't see it? I didn't see it. Oh. And, you know. What are you doing tonight? Like, what do you got planned? What are you going to watch half of? Ooh. <laughs> I watched half a Superbad last night. <laughs> of course. Well, the good half. That's the only part worth watching. Yeah, the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, not the back end. Um, uh, building off the grid. Watch that. Match. Um, I, there's probably, I probably watch a little bit of about 15 things. I'm a big Life Below Zero guy. I watch that a lot. Mm. And there, there's like 13 seasons of that, and somehow I, I still keep seeing the same episodes over and over again. I'm like, dang, mm. how did I do that? That's a great show. There are too many channels. Who would ever thought that you'd say there's too many channels? Now, at times there's too many channels and nothing on, but I'll breeze by and I'll find something and I'll, I'll stay there for like, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Super bad. I probably did a 30 minute. Yeah, McLovin. Oh, you guys see Uncut Gems came up on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I told that. I said to my wife, I said, you got to watch this. And so I might be watching that tonight. I said that the woman who is Sandler's girlfriend in there, I don't know if she's acted before. She was great. Spectacular. And and Sandler is this is this is great acting by Sandman. And uh 
I don't know if he ever gets an opportunity like this again where he get he he could have should have gotten nominated for an Academy Award. I still think that would have been bad for his reputation. Yeah. He's the underdog. Reggie in Mississippi. Hey Reg, what do you have for me? Hiya, Dan. How are you? Good, sir. What's on your mind, Reg? Just just want to throw one out there. Uh um, 1989's Harlem Nights. Now, you talk about cameos. Check this out. Okay. Richard Pryor, uh, Red Fox, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Della Reese, Robin Harris, Charlie Murphy, and <laughs> Stan Shaw, who played heavyweight champion Jack Jenkins, who suffers from this uh, boxing-related speech impediment. Funniest scene in the movie. Uh, just thought I'd throw that Harlem out. Harlem Nights. Okay. All right. Thank you, Reg. All right. Yeah, I, I'm aware of it. I just... I know I, I look, I don't like movies about superheroes, space, Star Wars, Star Trek. I, I just don't. Mobble, people, pe- topics, no. <laughs> War, the earth, the, the space. What are you down to? But superhero movies, come on. Like Star Trek, Star Wars, boring. Not interested. Yeah, see. No uh, Marvel movies? No. No? No. You can't? No. I'm just not interested in it. I did like... Uh, you know what one's great? Guardians of the Galaxy. You might like Guardians of the Galaxy because it's got a great soundtrack. Mm. The soundtrack is like a, is a great part of the movie. You might actually like that one. What was the Ryan Reynolds one? That, Deadpool you liked. Yeah, the, the first one. second one I didn't like at all. first yeah. one was great because it spoofed the superhero yeah, movies great movie i thought he was wonderful yeah see that's an academy award i know that he's in a in, a, in a, a costume but i thought he was brilliant in that role he was funny what do i know uh todd what did you learn on today's program i'm simply too handsome to expect to get laughs as a stand-up comic mclevin what did you learn today <laughs> phil nicholson's calves are emblazoned on my brain now seaton o'connor yeah phil's calves made an appearance yeah Paulie? Todd has seven months to write five minutes of comedy. <laughs> I'll take the under. Wow. No matter what happens, you want to make sure that your loved ones are taken care of. That's why LegalZoom has made it easy to set up the right estate plan without leaving your home. Take care of your family today with the right estate plan. LegalZoom.com. Thanks for letting us go off the rails occasionally, having some fun. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on the Dan Patrick Show. One more item as we close out the show with Traeger. We talk about an athlete. A five-tool player. Traeger trumps that. Six-in-one versatility. And that means, count them, smoke, grill, roast, bake, braise, and barbecue. Six-in-one great grill. The six-in-one versatility means you can cook everything. You want burgers, brisket, you want pizza, nachos, veggies, cookies, cocktails, all on the Traeger grill. Traeger makes it easy, too. Very simple. Controlling the grill's temperature is as easy as using an oven because you pick the temperature you want on the Traeger, and then Traeger does the work for you. Wi-Fi technology. And that means you have an app, the Traeger app. You control the temperature on your phone. You can monitor the internal food temperatures. Change grill settings while lounging by the pool. When you're ready to blow away the neighborhood competition this year, Contact your local dealer. Visit TraegerGrills.com slash DP show today.